Mir with Mir Petroleum Consultants. Thank you for joining the program here today. We're going to talk about kind of a fun story that's been going on for about a decade now and revisit back. This is our actual first visit into this story. I've seen it in some other news outlets, and uh, Mr. Mir has emailed me some stories, and uh, I was alerted to the story via his social media, which he has gotten into in the past year and a half a little bit more frequently, and we're going to get into that in just a second. So, uh, Mr. Amir, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank you, Jason. So now that I gave kind of a quick overview, I need another quick one from you so we can hook the people in here because this story involves one of the deepest wells ever uh, drilled or something like that. So I'm going to hand kind of the preview baton off to you if you wouldn't mind. Well, yeah, uh, Jason, we were lucky enough, my consulting company, to be hired to help evaluate one of the deepest, highest pressure gas wells ever drilled in the, in the world. And it's located in Louisiana. And uh, like I said, we were lucky to be able to be part of this and it's still ongoing, but it's a good story. Uh, so I can tell you a little bit about. And when was it first drilled? Well, they started drilling in uh, September of 2012. But they, they didn't complete drilling until December of 2014. So that's two years of drilling. And uh, it's it, very expensive. Very it, expensive well. Was that normal or was that anticipated? I shouldn't say normal. Was that anticipated? No, no. It was uh, probably maybe almost double what they were expecting to, to spend in time when they uh, planned the well. But it's such a complicated and uh, mechanical uh, risk project that they encountered, you know, more problems as to get to those deep, deep depths, you know, the pipes and all that kind of stuff, you know, sometimes you run into problems. Oh, of course. I mean, I tell people all the time, you know, when it comes to, you know, the chemistry involved, you can go 20 feet away and you got to have a whole new chemistry set set up because that's just the way the industry works. Um, so you, you say it was like twice as long as they anticipated, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, break open your books or anything like that, but wh what were the costs like, you know, because on one hand, back in 2012 and 13, they were making some significant advancements in technology to where the, uh, you know, some wells in the Bakken, for example, were going from 14 million down to 8 million. And, you know, that was a significant savings. I'm listening to, you know, double the drill time. I'm going, boy, that kind of offsets well, the savings so did, did you guys blow the bank or how, how did that how, how did the monetary well, thing work well you know the Bakken is a repeatable play where you just repeat and repeat and get better and better this was uh this was serial number one for this well it was never been done uh, only one rig was capable of drilling that deep in, in the country and uh so it it actually cost about $350 million to drill the well. And, uh, but the interesting part is a famous oil wildcatter named Jim Bob Moffat, who was the uh, chairman of Freeport McMoran, was the driving force behind it. And he's a, a well-known uh, wildcatter, and he, in the 2000s, he was pushing these ultra-deep, prospects along the Gulf Coast and, uh, you know, spending a lot of money to try to prove up 
you know, a new play type. So uh, it, it, it gathered a lot of attention in Louisiana. These uh, several of these wells they tried to drill. This was the only one that actually produced, but they spent so much money it pretty much broke the company. So where's it at now? I mean, it, did did somebody take it over? Did uh, is it still? Is it still? I assumed it was still in operation, but uh, oh, where, where's it at right. today? Yeah, it's been producing since about early 2015. Okay. They had to, you know, put in facilities, and uh, there's some impurities in the gas. They had to put some plants to kind of clean that up. But it's been producing since 2015. Uh, it did have a a tubing uh, failure in 2015, so they had to come back and spend a bunch of money fixing it. But it's continuously been producing since 2015 except for that repair job. But uh, in early early 2019, the, uh, the well was sold to Highlander uh, Oil and Gas out of Houston for, I think, about $54 million. Uh, so they have been operating it for the last uh, two years or so. And, uh, you know, so they, they didn't – they bought it for $54 million, so they probably got a good deal. But the original uh, operator and partners, you know, they didn't they didn't come out too good on it. I'm not sure if you mentioned which shale play this is in, but I, I didn't get time to write down it in my notes and research it quick enough, so I apologize. Uh, what shale play is this in? No, this is not a shale play. This is a, a deep sub uh, salt-related conventional uh, tight gas or reservoir gas reservoir uh, in the uh, Tuscaloosa-age rock. So it's... It's a vertical well, and it's a con- more of a conventional gas reservoir, not not a shale play. Okay, yeah, and I I should have said uh, oil play. I apologize. I just always use the word shale play USA, and I always forget they are different because I used to use Tuscaloosa as an example of like ninety dollar oil because of the it's pretty clay down there, isn't it? The the it's a little bit it's it's a tougher it's a tougher play is what I'm getting at. Yeah, you have to understand the rock. It does affect everything, but the Tuscaloosa Marine Shale that's that's several miles north. Okay. On onshore Louisiana, up in uh, around Mississippi Louisiana border, that's a that's an oil shale play. Oh, there is this an is actual Tuscaloosa shale. shale play then. Okay, so I, I see this stuff gets pretty pretty complex and pretty pretty you know splitting of hairs pretty quickly with with this like. I was talking to the North Dakota Pipeline Authority guy yesterday, and I felt embarrassed because I forgot the Keystone Pipeline is different than the Keystone XL Pipeline. You know, you get so bogged down with everything, and then you throw in your personal life, and that's why the media, it's so, the media's job, my job, it's so important to be the eyes and ears for people out there because this world is so busy. And if you can't trust the media, and if you don't have a source that you can trust, that's ridiculous because nowadays we're finding out you can't even trust eyewitnesses after some of this recent summer events with protests. Eyewitnesses aren't even trustworthy now. So yeah. uh, anyway, sorry, I, I soapboxed it there for a second. But uh, getting back to the Tuscaloosa. So this is a um, uh, this is the Tuscaloosa, you said conventional. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a Tuscaloosa A sandstone. Sandstone. Okay, thank you. Uh, so... Okay, so this is the deepest, and you mentioned the highest pressure, too. Talk to me about that. Right. It's, uh, as far as we know, it's, its original reservoir pressure was about 24,600 pounds per square inch, and that's 
highest in the world that we could find. It's in its temperature, the reservoir temperature is 438 degrees, which is also the highest producing reservoir. So, you know, a lot of the tools and equipment, you know, they can't operate at those temperatures. So they had to have special equipment made. Uh, but as far as the depth, it's producing from around 28,500 to 29,100 feet. So it's the deepest in Louisiana. And, but I'm not sure it's the deepest in the world. We couldn't confirm that, but it's got to be right up there. You know, this is almost a 30,000 feet. Uh, it's very deep. Sorry, I'm writing down 30,000 feet. I actually take notes during interviews, so I, I do write wow. for a number of magazines and uh, right. news outlets. So, uh, okay, so I did want to ask you, too, uh, the next question, and to me, this is, you know, you don't have to answer this because, again, I, I don't know. I'm not trying to get anybody sued or, you know, shareholders in trouble or anything, but you did mention $350 million. It sold for 50 some million. That equals four hundred million into this well. Oh, um, there's they spent more than that on the facility. Right, right. I mean, I, I'm being conservative here, is what I'm getting at. Now, I don't have any idea how much money has been pumped out of there in terms of commodity of oil, but there's got to be a lot of research and a lot of big data and a lot of information that the deepest, highest pressure well, at least in these parts comes up with, and you mentioned the tools and some other things. Has that been discussed at all, or is that part of this, the the information and just kind of the research that's being, you know, I mean, you guys, you, you did it, so it's done, and in today's day and age, people log everything, so what's the what's next, I guess, for this information and what you guys have learned? Have you gotten to that part yet? Well, no, but uh, it's all proprietary, you know, <laughs> to the operator, you know, there is Correct. some public information, but, uh, you know, it's a small operator now operates it. And, uh, and my client was one of the landowners and, you know, I could explain, you know, what, why they called us if you want to go into that. And yeah. I mean, I was going to say, if you want, go ahead and pitch the oil company for you and me to do a consulting job then on how they can use that big data. So, uh, but go, go from your angle on the landowner. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, I'm joking anyway. because that data is very, is very useful is what I'm getting at. And so it is proprietary and, um, there is, you know, it's, and that's significant, but on the flip side from the landowner side, it also benefits them. So sorry, I just thought I'd make a transition yeah. away from the you know the the, the off-color joke that i had so yeah i mean the the landowner is it is entitled to a lot of the well data and they have passed a lot of that on to us for our evaluation but basically uh, the landowner but one of the landowners in the well uh, was is trying to get the state of louisiana to change the unit size and uh it's very common in the oil and gas industry for the state regulatory agencies to unitize uh, producing areas or producing wells. And uh, that dates back to the uh, World War II, if you're not familiar with unitization. What happened is, I don't know if you've seen the old pictures of the old spindle top fields or the old wildcatters, and there's 
drilling derricks, you know, right next to each other, you know, as far as the eye can see, you know, the old wooden derricks. I don't know if you've seen pictures like that. Oh, yeah, I've seen him. Joe Dancy, he's a professor down at uh, SMU and uh, Texas A&M and that sort of thing. He's always posting on social media, and he sends them to me. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. Well, well what happened is uh, everybody, you know, 100 years ago was operating under the rule of capture. Where, like, if you wanted the oil, you better drill a well on your land. So everybody was drilling right next to each other to get their straw into the pot, you know. And and so that was fine, but it really wasn't the most efficient way to produce a reservoir, you know, an oil reservoir. So uh, during World War II, uh, the government was needing the steel to, you know, to make sh- ships and tanks and planes and and all the oil companies were using all the steel to put casing, you know, wellbore casings right next to each other and drill, you know, 100 wells all in one little spot. And they said, no, you know, we can't let you, you know, waste all that steel. You know, you only need two wells in there to drill. So what they did is they said, we're going to come in here and unitize the reservoir. We're going to draw up, you know, some kind of box or rectangle or polygon around the well. And we're going to say, Everybody that owns land in this square, you know, gets a share of the well. And so we don't need 10 wells or 100 wells drilled. We just need one or two. And then everybody will just share proportionally, you know, with their land. So that was to that was to more efficiently produce the reservoirs. Uh, there's some reservoir engineering principles that come in. But it was mainly to see, keep them from wasting, you know, the steel, you know, for drilling too many wells. So because like, they wanted to fight the war. But anyway, so... That has developed over the years, and in Louisiana, you know, it's uh, it's pretty important because uh, you have a lot of little landowners, you know, that want their share of the well. So, you know, you can get into fights about where you draw that box, you know, because if you're on the wrong side of that line on that box or polygon, you won't get any of the revenue from the well. So it's a pretty elaborate process you have to go through to get that that uh, unit map drawn, you know? And uh, so we've been called in to help with that. So what happened is when they were drilling the well, uh, the state, while they were drilling it, the state created a drilling unit for the well. And it was a very large unit because the operators that were drilling the well, you know, requested a large unit because they're spending so much money, they want to be protected with a big acreage, you know, uh, to lock up a lot of lease acreage around the well. So the state uh, issued them a 9,000 acre unit. And actually the legislature had to get involved because there was never any wells drilled this deep. And so they actually came and put it into the law about how they could size these deep units. And uh, so what happened is they gave the operator a 9,000 acre unit with the, with the uh, plan that they would drill three wells to develop it because one well can't really drain 9,000 acres. It's just, it's like 14 square miles. And so anyway, that's what they, they got the large unit. And my land, my client was one of the landowners. They had about 33% of the land in that unit, but their land was mainly around where the well was. And so after several years, 
the oil company said, well, it's really too expensive to drill another well. You know, we need a delay. We can't drill the number two and the number three, which they were obligated to drill three wells to develop the unit. And so after about three or four extensions, the client came to me and said, well, we, we either want them to drill another well so we can get more of our minerals out or we want the unit reduced size. And so this is kind of controversial because if you reduce that unit size, it's a lot of money at stake, you know, for all those landowners. And so we did an engineering study to try to determine, you know, how big the reservoir is because we really don't know how big it is because it's so deep. All you have is one well penetration and some 3D seismic data. And, you know, at 30,000 feet, seismic data, you know, really can't image, you know, the reservoir that great. So anyway, we did an extensive engineering study, and we think the reservoir is much smaller than 9,000 feet. So we're going to present that evidence to the uh, state uh, commissioner of conservation in October. It's kind of like a trial procedure where you have to present your evidence, and the operator is the operator is resisting and. They want to keep the unit at 9,000 acres because that protects all their leases. And But anyway, so we think we're going to win, but it's kind of a new thing. No one's ever had a deep unit and tried to dispute it, you know, these ultra-deep units. So it's kind of getting a little attention in Louisiana, um, you know, because it will be like the first time this was ever tried, you know, to change an ultra-deep unit. So that's kind of it. But uh, like I said, we were lucky to get called in there. We did some, we did some reservoir engineering, you know, pretty simple stuff. And then we advanced to some reservoir simulation and some material balance. And I brought in, uh, one of my associate engineers, you know, which has a PhD in, in chemical engineering and we work together and, you know, we think we have a pretty good case, you know, but you know, it's politics. It's not always what the engineer or geologist says it's you know how is this going to affect these landowners so you never know how the commissioner is going to rule on it so i i wanted to ask you about that uh because you've you've brought up a lot between the relationship between the oil and gas company the operator and the landowner right and we've done a lot of stories over the years on the relationship between ag and energy between the landowner and the oil producer. And I wanted to ask you, and I didn't know how to bring it up, but since you, you, you pretty much brought up a lot of the context, overall, overall, how was the relationship? Because this is a 10-year project, it sounds like, that's been going on, and there's been some ups and some downs and some money being spent and everything else. And, you know, I'm sure it's not all peas and carrots and puppies and kittens, but at the same time, the biggest picture is that they're still there, so what's what what's been the overall you know relationship between the the landowner and the producer? Okay, well th- there's several landowners, but my client is the largest. But it, initially it was very good because this was an extraordinary project, and that the landowners was were really pulling the, you know to get somebody to drill this three hundred million dollar well. So they were very happy that the well was drilled, but. You know, that was five years ago, and they've never drilled the additional wells that they promised to drill. So that now the now it's kind of turning sour. You know, they 
they either want them to drill more wells or give them back, you know, make the unit smaller. And if they make the unit smaller, you know, my client owns the land around the well. So if they draw the box closer to the well, he'll end up with a higher percentage of the, of the well, you know, so of course he has some financial and, you know, incentives. But so, you know, it's a pretty good relationship, but, you know, now it, now it's starting to get into the lawyers and stuff like that. And, you know, we can't say too much, you know, they, they don't want to give us too much information. You know, the operator is, you know, because they're worried, you know, something could happen, but anyway, so. Yeah, it's down to, it's, it's down to money and market marketplace. The, the marketplace well, has changed. Know. Yeah. The marketplace has changed due to regulation and prices. It sounds like, and, and, um, money, you know, cause, uh, the, People, other people were both both sides were dependent on a certain amount. So no, that's that's normal. That's normal. Um, so overall, though, there's still, even though the lawyers are involved, they're still at least being able to communicate effect- effectively and efficiently at, at this point. Well, they're not they're not giving us any. All they give us the lawyers for the operating company. You know, they're giving us limited information. They just give oh what okay. They so it is but, okay. All right, all right. But this well. This well is bringing in probably about ninety thousand dollars a month in gas revenue. It's a, it's all it produces is gas, no oil. So it's it's a, a lot of money, you know, to argue over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's that's what I say. It's about money and and, and marketplace right now. On on one hand, they're arguing the marketplace isn't letting us because of this restriction, this restriction, and this. And on the right. other side, they're arguing, yeah, but you said we could get this amount of money. And so, you know, it's a, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a tough one. That's what I mean. And generally something like this, both sides are upset, but they understand that this is the way it goes. And so you try not to take it too personally because once it starts getting personal, now you start involving social issues and bad PR and people start this and that. And, and that's what I, I try to avoid. And that's one of the well, reasons why we try to, you know, keep a, safe space for people to talk because I'll tell you what, man, you, what you just talked about was some pretty heavy stuff. Well, I, I just wanted to tell you, you know, I'm an engineer and, you know, we're engineers and we had to have a pre-hearing conference in July where we met with all the, you know, interested parties in uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, and we presented, you know, we presented our engineering study and they kind of had an engineer talking about what they had done in the past and, you know, we kind of have different views on the reservoir size and everything. And, and, you know, so we're really concentrating on that. But their lawyer, the first thing he did, he didn't talk anything about the engineering. He just put a list of all the landowners on a bulletin board and said, if they, if we do what this man, Kurt Muir, wants to do, this is how much money you're going to lose. <laughs> you know, he put it on a bulletin board and he said, if you guys want to come up and take a look at this bulletin board, if we enact, if we enact what, these guys are recommending this is how much money you're going to lose in it, but nothing to do with the engineering or science. It was just, you need to know this. <laughs> so I was really, you know, that was probably a good way to present it, but you know, I'm thinking about the technical stuff and. Oh yeah. Did, you, <laughs> you, you can hand somebody a scientific report and it's, it's like, you know, they handed you a turd sandwich. It's just, yeah. it's unreal. Well, I mean, look at the, uh, I always bring this up, you know, um, the, the girl going around, um, Greta Thunberg, the uh, environmental oh, activist. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to get political here. All I'm trying to say is that there was a big climate convention, uh, the global one. I forget the name of it, but Paris, I think it might be. And um, if you're a scientist and you went to school for 20 years, you've been studying all this different stuff and you're the keynote speaker, you're one of the top people. And then all of a sudden a 16 year old who doesn't even have a high school education is the top information person to come out of that summit. That's a different world we live in, man. That is a different world that is controlled by emotion and money. And facts, people just don't seem to care anymore. And it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre to me. But so I appreciate, you know, you coming on to talk a little facts and talk a little bit about some some hard topics, because right now the oil and gas industry is a little bit at a crossroads. You know, we got people that are losing their jobs and it's, you know, it's not a a socially accepted thing right now in a lot of circles. You know, in Colorado, they just banded. That's why I started a new website. Yeah, talk to me about this because you're trying to you're trying to unite the industry again. So let's okay, let's uh, transition into some positive here. Viva La Frac, go ahead, sir. Well, uh, yeah. So I thought that was a good name. Basically, I'm tired of being told as a petroleum engineer that what I do is going to kill everybody, and so I want to have some pro oil and gas content, which we're putting out. We, we interviewed, you know, an activist guy and, and we're going to have uh, educational materials. So it's going to be engineering, educational materials, plus pro oil and gas uh, content and articles and stuff. So we started about two months ago, so you can check it out. Um, so we're building, you know, we'd love to have, you know, some people contribute, you know, some positive things. Uh, and we want everybody to anybody that loves the oil industry. We hope you could come to our website and uh, join us. And uh, we have a YouTube channel also. But we're going to be pushing back against all the uh, extremism. We're going to be, you know, trying to promote. You know, the oil industry is overwhelmingly positive. You know, the, all the positives of the you know oil and gas industry overwhelm small amounts of negative. You know, nothing's 100 percent positive, but we feel the positives are much better than the negatives and we're going to, we're going to try to present that. And so hopefully, you know, other guys or people in the industry will join us. And circling back to the beginning of the interview, your regular job, your mere petroleum consultants, we should probably give you one last plug here as we conclude. Uh, How can people get in touch with you? I, I see you just, you know, you were speaking down and, uh, Louisiana, of course, COVID has changed some of the speaking things. If you got an upcoming gig, uh, be sure to uh, plug that. But go ahead and give yourself a plug so people know how they can uh, give you some business. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah, we're based in Houston, Texas. We're a small firm. Uh, we do reserve evaluations, you know, uh, prop- property evaluations, engineering studies. So most of our clients are small operating companies, but we do have some investors that uh, you know, looking at a drilling deal and they'll say, what do you think of this? So we'll review it and tell them. And then we also do work for private landowners. Uh, Sometimes we have some families that maybe they have a grandmother passed away and they have to have a, a state tax valuation. So we'll evaluate their minerals, you know, for their land. And so they can put that with the IRS. So anyway, so we do, we do property evaluations and reserve reports, you know, all companies, all public companies are required to uh, 
report their reserves every year. So we have a few small public companies that we do that for and some private companies. But we're kind of like an appraisal. You know, if, you know, if you have the house, you want to get your house appraised, we, we, can, appraise, we can appraise your oil wells. <laughs> so that's kind of what we do. And, uh, but anyway, our website is Mere Petroleum Consultants. And that should have our contact information and uh, and a list of our clients. We've got clients all over, and we work all over the world. We we do we do uh, we do evaluations of all the shale plays. You know, I did just do a study of the Haynesville, and that's posted on our website. You know, we did a little review of that. That's one of the uh, the heating up gas plays in in Louisiana and Texas. It's one of the most active drilling areas. Anyway. And we have some reports like that, you know, some just free reports on our website too. So we'll have to have you back. Uh, we'll have to have you back on that because we've been tracking that pipeline between Mexico and the United States. Once they open that to allow the natural gas to flow, uh, and then some of those other pipelines, man, that Haynesville is going to explode overnight. Okay, well that's good. We'll, we'll I, do more drilling. And, I believe, and anyways. Better. I believe that. I don't know if okay. others do, but uh, when you open up, you know, business to a whole country, generally there's a lot of people at one time. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I we'll have to we'll have to have you back to revisit some of these uh, different reservoirs. So what's that website one more time? It's Mir M I R E Mir Petroleum Consultants dot com. 